What's up to all my freelancers and creatives? This is Nathan with another episode of Freelance Jumpstart TV. This time though, I am not by myself. I have a guest with me uh, and I'll let him tell you a little bit about himself. I am here with Justin, or I should say the uh, Justin Jackson. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Nathan. Good to see you, man. Definitely. Definitely a pleasure to have you here on the show. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Uh, I'll give a little synopsis of how I view uh, Justin and how I interacted with his content. And then Justin, you can just expand upon that and let people know a little bit more about you. Um, sure. So my journey as a freelancer, um, I like to learn. I learn a lot online through other uh, professionals and creatives. And I stumbled upon uh, Justin's content. Uh, he wrote a lot of funny things like this is a web page and many things like that. But uh, the more important thing I noticed about Justin is he's very honest. He's very authentic. He wasn't trying to project himself to be something that he wasn't. He was just being authentic and saying, hey, I'm working right now. I'm trying to move towards, you know, full time as a solopreneur. I'm working. And he just wrote in his journey and I learned a lot from it. And I applied some of that information and it worked, you know. Um, and he shares his successes and failures and I love his blogs and everything that he does. So uh, that's how I was introduced to Justin. But uh, Justin, if you want to tell a little bit about what you have going on, uh, you know, how you got into, you know, this the product game or, you know, even the solopreneur life and just let people know a little bit more. Sure. Well, that was really nice uh, intro. It's always interesting to hear how people first kind of interacted with me and, um, I, uh, I, so I was a little bit late to technology work. Um, I, when I was 28 years old, I made a big career change from working in a nonprofit that was focused on, uh, working with teenagers primarily. And I turned 28 years old. I'm like, I need to do something different. And I got hired by a software company and kind of worked my way up. Uh, started at the very bottom, and when I left in 2014, I was the product manager there. And after that, I went to Sprintly and worked with them for a couple years uh, in Portland. And then after that, I just decided to consult full time and had some clients in San Francisco and Portland uh, and London. And I, I kept kind of. My, my end game was always I wanted to be free, whatever that means. And uh, I guess for me that meant there would be no one telling me what to do with my time. And so as I was consulting, I was like, I can't wait to the time where I can just be doing my own thing completely. And uh, I eventually was able to do that in 2000. 16. So 2016 was my first year completely independent. And I made most of my revenue that year off a book and a course called Marketing for Developers. And then 2017 was my second year. Uh, and again, probably Marketing for Developers. I have another product called Tiny Marketing Wins. Um, and uh, I also do a mix of like coaching calls and other things as well. But that's kind of what brought me here. And now in 2018, like a lot of other folks, actually, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's the current landscape? Where is it, 
you know, what's not working anymore, what is going to work now. Uh, and uh, that's been kind of what I've been trying to explore for the past couple months. No, that's awesome. I thought for a moment you were going to talk about, and these are all different uh, justinized products. I thought for a moment you were going to talk about build your audience or product press or um, amplification or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. Those are all products Justin did. Yeah, I had a lot of other things. And actually, to tell you the truth, I think one thing I've learned is I think my best product is not really a product at all, but uh, this online community I created, it was originally called JFDI, and then I, it was called Product People Club, and now it's called Mega Maker Club. Uh, maybe I'm not great at sticking with one brand, but uh, the, I think of everything I've created, that is the most authentic. I, I started that in 2013, and there's a lot of communities that have come and gone since then, Um, but I feel like we just had this very slow growth. It started with 20 people and then, you know, there's probably 320 registered members now, but I'd say about a hundred of those are quite active every month. And I think we've created something special there that isn't, um, you know, a lot of folks tell me it's the most active Slack slash forums that they're a part of. Uh, and I've got to hang out with a lot of folks there all around the world. Um, so when I went to Scotland, I hung out with a bunch of people. When I went to New York, I hung out with a bunch of people. Um, so I, I think that's, uh, you know, that if I have a third pillar, you know, marketing for developers, tiny marketing wins, the third pillar is definitely Mega Maker Club. And, um, that there's something about that. I will probably get into this later, but that that personal connection and relationship, it's very difficult to duplicate that somewhere else. And uh, uh, even though it's not like the biggest moneymaker, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of. No, awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing all that. And along the way, you know, I was I'm subscribed to Justin's content. So uh, along the way, I got to see a lot of what he was doing, a lot of the insights of what he was building why he was changing things. I like Mega Maker. Um, whenever I hear a striker song, I don't, I, I'm thinking it's your podcast. I'm not thinking it's a regular song. <laughs> um, I'm talking about his intro music, which is awesome. Uh, I love it. Uh, yeah. And it's awesome. So yeah, I still get a lot of value. Uh, one of my most favorite episodes from uh, the Mega Maker podcast, like he said, he has products, he has some services, but he also has the podcast. Uh, I love the episode. Um, being in traffic almost killed me because I could relate. Mm. Actually, I was listening to that uh, episode in traffic, and Houston has a lot of traffic, <laughs> a lot of it, a lot of a lot of traffic. Uh, if something's twenty miles away, it might take you an hour to get there. I probably, yeah. I probably could wow. have jogged. I probably could have jogged and made it before. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, that happens a lot, and I was listening to that, and I was like, "Wow, this is highly relevant." As I'm sitting here in traffic. But on that episode, yeah. Justin was just highlighting the commuting was taking away time he could have been used for creating. And uh, mm-hmm. that, and, and driving and sitting in traffic like that also drains you too. It drains some of your energy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that was one of my favorite episodes. I think that's, yeah, I think there's something about that that I even need to remind myself of this now, but 
sometimes we, you know, we'll come up with an idea or, you know, like now, now I've, I've got the dream, right? I'm independent, but that basically means I'm just on a new treadmill, which means I have to figure out what I'm going to produce next. And in some ways it's, it's more difficult now because when it was my side project, there was no pressure for anything I created to pull in most of the income, right? But now this is my only thing. And I think what you can miss and the advantage of having a full-time job and doing something on the side is, you know, when you're doing it on the side, you are so observant about your pain and other people's struggle and other people's desires and uh, what motivates people. And, you know, being in traffic and stuck in traffic was incredibly motivating to me because every time I got in that car, I was frustrated. And I knew um, once I started telling that story to people, so many folks could identify with that, that sentiment of, I'm here in the car, but this is sucking my life away. And I wish I lived closer to my office. I wish, you know, and you know, that being stuck in my car motivated me to try so many things. I, uh, you know, I would go to my boss and I would say, listen, you, you have to let me work from home a couple days a week. And at first they said, no, no, no. And every time my, you know, my yearly review came up, I'm like, listen, I'm going to leave if I can't get some of this freedom because it's killing me to drive into the city every day. And so eventually they gave me one day at home a week. But even then I was, I still had four days a week. And so I started applying for jobs. I applied for a job at 37 Signals. And they, uh, Jason emailed me the day after I applied and said, hey, I want you to come to Chicago and spend the day with us. Went to Chicago, spent the day with them. And uh, they, I'd applied for customer support position, which was lower than what I was doing. And they offered me the job. And it was way less money than I was making. But I was still like, I almost took it because I was so motivated to get out of traffic, you know? And so remembering those things that caused us pain or, you know, those things that are so, there's so much struggle there that you're just motivated. You have this incredible motivation to move. Yeah, it was a lot easier noticing those moments when I wasn't full-time independent and, uh, that's in some ways that's what I'm trying to recapture these days is going back to where people are at, going back to what's hard, going back to, you know, the things that frustrate people so much that they're willing to get off the couch, get off the chair and do something about it. No, thank you. That's awesome. And there are many people who can probably relate to that. Uh, like I said, I know it's highly relevant to me. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a problem with commuting. People commute. There's some people who commute further than that. The issue is, you know, you're driving and it's just a reminder of, okay, time is being taken away that I can never get back. Mm-hmm. Do I want to spend two to three hours in a car? What else can mm-hmm. I be doing with these two to three hours? That's the question, mm-hmm. right? And then you start thinking, well, I, I, I always say this. I'm like, uh, when it comes to millennials, 
Mm-hmm. You know, managers, leaders, employers, they really have to start thinking about allowing people to work remotely because they're not going to be at home eating corn chips, uh, you know, watching and catching up on The Walking Dead or <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, yeah. They can get their work done. You know, it doesn't have to be this big deal of being in the office. You have to start asking yourself the question, is being in the office the best environment for someone's creativity or for someone's mm-hmm. work ethic it may or may not be uh and there's mm-hmm. value in letting someone to work from home so i'm just saying all this mm-hmm. just in case someone's listening that is a leader or a manager listen to people because mm-hmm. uh just yeah. justin said hey guys i might look elsewhere if he, he kind of was thinking like i need this freedom and if yeah you totally. see that you see that you're gonna let me have it or i'll get it it's just you won't be here yeah i I'm 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 going to mention this a lot because it's just the thing that's on top of my mind right now. I've been thinking a ton about motivation. And you know, we it's funny because we the the solution that I jumped to was becoming an indie entrepreneur because I was motivated to have more freedom in my life, more I was motivated to want to live the place I wanted to live, you know, I wanted to live closer to the ski resort. I was motivated to spend more time with my family, all these things. And, uh, I chose as my solution in the entrepreneurship, but it could have been some other things, right? It could have been, um, a workplace that was said, you know, you can work from home and you can, you, we only work seven hours a day. And, you know, there's all these other options that, could have been but the situation I was in I was like I've got to get out of this and what what happened was I started listening to podcasts and I heard uh, Rob Walling start up for the rest of us and I'm like okay here's some hope here's a solution and so I I, I plunged kind of all my motivation in that direction but there's other directions right there's other there's other things and um, I think that's interesting for us as people, you know, as we're trying to figure out how to make our life better. But it's e- even more interesting as we're looking at our clients and our customers and our potential customers and to say, OK, what are they really motivated to do? What situation are they motivated to get out of? What, you know, what are they willing to what what are they really emotional about in their life right now? And those are the things that that you need to grab onto. I think we made a mistake in, you know, we said, you know what people really want is they want online courses, but they don't want online courses. They want to get out of their situation. And so the the vessel that we use to help them get out of their situation is going to change all the time. And if we get too stuck on, well, it's got to be a PDF ebook and an online course and, you know, anything else, it, it's not going to work. Uh, the, 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 what doesn't change is people want to make their life better. <laughs> what does change is what kind of, uh, I guess vessel is the best way to put it. What, what does that look like? What does the, the tool look like? What does the, um, you know, what does, what, what does the channel look like? What does the pathway look like? 
And that can change. What works today might not work tomorrow. What people thought might work maybe didn't end up working. And we're still putting all of our resources into creating this one thing when what people really want is, you know, something over here. And I think that's a good question for freelancers, especially because, you know, we've gotten addicted to saying we need to, uh, you know, automate things for our clients and we need to create software for our clients. We need to, but maybe the clients don't want that. Maybe what the clients want is that they've tried all those other things and they want to make their life better. And, and what they think will make their life better is more hands-on support, more custom work, more, you know, all these other things. And so, uh, yeah, there, there's something interesting in there, uh, and specifically around motivation that I think is, I don't know, just intriguing to me. No, yeah, you said it. And pretty much what Justin was getting at for anyone listening is, uh, you know, there's certain motivations to uh, make the jump to leave a nine to five job and become a solopreneur, a freelancer, creative professional, build your own business, build your own software as a service, whatever you want to call it. And there was like this predefined path that uh, many people touted online. And that path looks something like, okay, first you started and you're working a corporate job, but you're tired. So then um, as Gary V likes to say, you got to hustle, you got to hustle. So, so, so mm-hmm. you may, you may work nine to five, but you better own five to 9am, you know? So he says stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so he, basically he's saying, Hey, build a business when you're off of work, which is, which is true. Mm-hmm. And then you do that with freelancing and then you get a couple of clients and you say, well, as uh, Brendan Dunn put it, he left his nine to five job and he created his own agency, but he turned it, it was a nine to seven. So he's like, I have mm-hmm. something I own, but now I spend more time on it. And is this, mm-hmm. is this really what I wanted? So then the transition from freelancing, because with freelancing, you have clients and you still have obligations. The, tra- yep. the transition is, let me go to products or some type of um, you know, passive income right? that you can get. Mm-hmm. Basically, something I can sell that, or something I can create that sells, whether I am intentionally one-on-one with the customer or not and Mm -hmm. that seemed to be the predefined path and tons of people flooded and did that path but as a result of that because everybody sees the tactics that have worked in the past um as seth god i heard seth godin say uh marketers ruin everything (laughs) so Mm -hmm. uh so when they found out about it you see you see tons of ebooks you see son tons Mm -hmm. of paywalls saying give me your email you see tons of workshops and webinars and online courses. And some of these are mm-hmm. helpful and awesome, but some of these people just did them because they were motivated to leave the job. So they didn't really do it to help people. They did it because it is a path to get me out of the situation I feel stuck in. And as we talk about the state of create going forward in 2018, that might not work anymore. And mm-hmm. People are tired of it, and it's not that people are even tired of it. People can see it coming before it comes. When I uh, Justin was there, I had a webinar. Uh, I was very comical. It was relaxed. I was laid back. And at the end, one guy is like, you're not selling anything? Why not? I thought you was, where's the sale? Where's the sale? And I was like, I don't, I was like, I don't, I was like, I have something for sale, but that wasn't the purpose of this webinar. But he was shocked that I wasn't selling anything. 
You know, yeah. so it's like it's expected. And when people can see it coming now, they start to second guess your authenticity. They start to second guess um, your intentions. And yeah. and now we're moving towards a point where it's almost like it's resetting. Uh, it's going back to more customer service, more hands-on, more intimate conversations, more one-on-one. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a little bit of where we are now. Um, it, it, Justin, if you could speak to what are you seeing in terms of, because you know, you've done both sides, but uh, mm-hmm. how are you and your brand, how are you transitioning back? I know you have a couple of communities, but how are you transitioning mm-hmm. back to that more personalized approach rather than automation? Well, I mean, I'm mostly trying things right now. I think the, you know, in some ways I'm a good example. I think I, I, I was just at the tail end of, um, you know, for me, what really kind of started this was seeing Nathan Barry and very early on seeing the success he had with his books and his courses. And I think a lot of people kind of followed his roadmap and I was at the tail end of that. So, you know, I was maybe a year or two or maybe even three years, uh, at the end. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I didn't miss it entirely, but I think those of us that are on that weren't first and I hadn't yet built up a big machine. We felt it first because we're competing against other people that started late, right? And I just started noticing like there is way more competition. When, like when I email a, uh, a potential customer, they're replying back and saying, oh man, I would have loved to have bought your thing, but I just bought this person's thing. And it was happening more and more often and more and more products of a similar nature were coming online. And that was kind of like the first wave. And again, I'm, I feel, um, I'm trying to think of another word for blessed, but I, I'm, I feel fortunate that I, I got in when I did because marketing for developers, uh, and tiny marketing wins and these other things have literally fed my family since 2016 and you know in 2015 it wasn't my full-time income but it was a you know it paid for braces and other (laughs) things right uh and so i feel fortunate but i also i also saw this other wave coming and once you have a couple cycles you also see what people were just lucky what people had good timing the first time around because you started to see people who had a you know, uh, the first time they killed it and then they released something again and it didn't do so well. So we were able to see after multiple cycles, wait a second, maybe some of this had to do with timing, right? Maybe at the beginning, this idea of PDF eBooks was just so unique and, uh, interesting that people were willing to try it out. But once you get, uh, that folder in your Dropbox, called books and courses, once that starts to get to 10, 20, 30, 40 items, you got all these, you know, PDFs and eBooks and courses in there that you haven't used, it's going to be harder to, you know, the next time someone pitches you something to buy another thing. And uh, 
Whereas when Nathan started, you know, I didn't even have a books and courses PDF folder. You know what I mean? Like I created it for his book. And so, and it was easy to, you know, I read his book in a day and I was like, okay, well that was interesting. And, um, you know, it just changed. And so I think that was the, the first thing, um, and like, did you notice that too, that, that kind of cycle of, you know, maybe at first it was, stu- it was super kind of, I'm trying to think of the other word for unique, but you know, uh, unique, unexpected, um, it just, it just was notable. It just, yeah. It just was, well, I guess you could say it was a fresh take on online learning that, yeah. that wasn't sitting in a college classroom. It was, I can learn to uh, some people like to call it just-in-time learning. It was just-in-time mm-hmm. learning. There's a skill or a, a, a strategy or a technique, and I can learn it very quickly and do it right now. So this whole mm-hmm. just-in-time learning movement came about. And while you were talking, I looked up my... Uh, I have a folder called Books, and I have yeah. uh, 101 PDFs in it. <laughs> I, I think I've read uh, maybe 60%. There are other ones I have. So it's about 100. So 40 of them I haven't even read, but they're there. So I yeah. have 101 uh, books. But no, the just-in-time learning movement. And I've, I noticed that there are some people. I was able to separate those who are really creative and can adapt versus those who can't. Like mm-hmm. I saw those who would you know, release different products and they were doing awesome. But then I also started mm-hmm. to notice the more people don't really know about business development, they start getting very meta. And what I mean is, um, hey guys, this, you know, hey guys, this is Nathan. I want to do a course. And this course is about uh, how to do a target audience. And you're like, oh, awesome. You take the course, you learn something. This is awesome. Hey guys, I want to do another course about um, how to communicate with your audience. You're like, oh, cool. Communicate. First you did target. Now you did. Okay. Okay, guys. Now I want to do a course about how to do a course about how to reach your audience. So of course about <laughs> courses. Um, yeah. No offense to the five people I know that do courses about courses, but I'm just highlighting yeah. the fact that it starts getting more meta and it's like, okay, this won't work for everyone, you know? So mm-hmm. um, really the hope was if you come into the just-in-time learning movement, and I felt late to the party myself, but when you mm-hmm. come into the just-in-time learning, it's like you have to figure out what your next step is going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. I know for me, writing a book and everything and even doing a course, it wasn't even about selling it. It was about, mm-hmm. for me, it was just about building authority. Because mm-hmm. as soon as I wrote a book and had a course, I started getting uh, more validation for the prices I charged. Like people did, I, and I felt less guilty. It was, this is the price I have for this service. If you can't yeah. afford it, just buy the course. If, so I felt less guilty. Also, it gave mm-hmm. me some authority when I was trying to do more public speaking. People said, oh, you wrote a book. Oh, we respect you now. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I, ha- I had the same thoughts before the book, but whatever. So, yeah, uh, yeah so that, that is something I learned and I observed. But I did, I did see people, you know, the just-in-time learning movement, it did get a little diluted. And some people could not give more value. They just had a certain amount and then it just stopped. So uh, that's the yeah. observation I had as well. Yeah, and... I think for me, um, and I think we all fall into this, there's a temptation to fall in love with the medium rather than the customer. 
And we saw this with 37 Signals too. When they built Basecamp, there was this huge movement uh, for agencies to try to build their own SaaS using Ruby on Rails, right? And I think what folks missed is 37 Signals really understood the customer. It was them. They were the customer and they were like, they just really kind of fell in love with like, okay, here's the problem we run into all the time. We're going to solve this. What's the best way to solve this? Well, you know, Microsoft Project's no good because we all have to download it and it's cumbersome, it's on our, but the web is perfect for this. And so then they went to the web and then they're like, but if it's a website, we should charge for it the same way we would charge for hosting. So now let's charge monthly for it and that business model makes sense. But then everyone, all everyone else saw was, whoa, they've got all this recurring revenue and they fell in love with the business model. They fell in love with the medium as opposed to, no, what does your customer want? What is your, fall in love with the customer. Where are they at? And, you know, for me, I think part of the mistake I made is, you know, marketing for developers did so well. Um, I was just like, I just fell in love with, oh, this is amazing. This is like, this is the best money I've ever made. I can just write this book and then create this course. You know, writing a book was hard, but then creating a course comparatively was easy. You could just make all this video and that. And none of that is to say, like, I think marketing for developers is very valuable. But when I went to do the next thing, I, I was still in that mindset of, you know, what's what's best for the, not what's best for the customer, but, you know, what, I just fell in love with the business model. This is, I can produce this as a single... Sh- a solopreneur and I can put it out and I can make these margins. And when, as soon as you do that, you lose sight of customers, you lose sight of what they want. And to the point even where you get this like myopia where, um, for, I think tiny wins is the best example of this because when I launched it, it's, it was, I launched it as a subscription, an annual subscription. And I was correct in that people really did want tiny marketing wins for their business, but there was all sorts of ways I could have delivered that. But I just said, no, it's got to be annual recurring because that's what I want. And when people, when it came renewal time, people were like, well, I don't want to pay for this annually. What's the difference? Why would I pay for this annually when you're charging once for marketing for developers? This doesn't make sense, right? And I think I lost sight of, you know, what does the customer, you know, what are they, what's actually best for them? And I think part of even what I'm trying to think about now is like, you know, we've tried courses and courses didn't work for a lot of my customers. So what am I going to do now? What, what's the next best way I can help those people? And, you know, uh, one of the things I've done, I've been trying more, is uh, one-hour coaching calls. And I did one with this fellow the other day, and he said, you know, I've bought marketing for developers. I bought your landing page workshop. I enjoyed them both, but this was about 100 times more valuable. And, it, you know, it was roughly the same price. Mm. Uh, and so for the hour, right? And so 
he got a hundred times more value from a one hour phone call. And sure, in my corner, I could be saying, well, oh, this sucks. I, I can't scale this. But what's best for the customer? What's best for the customer is, in his case, is getting on the phone with me for an hour. And so it's not his problem that I can't scale it. I've got to figure that out on my end. Maybe I got to charge more. Maybe I got to do whatever. But you know, what's best for him? What's actually giving him results? Uh, what is he most motivated to even reach out and pay for? And then after he's paid for it and consumed it, what is he most motivated to actually use to go out and get results? And uh, if, if all I'm thinking about is myself and the business model and the medium that works for me, I'm going to lose sight of the fact that there's these people out there that need help and are motivated to change, but they don't want to pay, uh, you know, an annual subscription or what have you. No, that's good insight because honestly, I see this a lot on different day jobs I've had when it comes to marketing, when people start yelling out tactics instead of strategy or the business problem they're trying to solve it's problematic. When you say, okay, guys, Mm -hmm. we want to do a marketing campaign. And the goal of this campaign is to reach uh, young adults. So we're going to try to reach young adults. Let's do a Facebook campaign. It's like we don't even know what we're doing yet. Why, why mm-hmm. did you yell out Facebook campaign? Maybe. Mm-hmm. May, maybe because, yeah, young adults are on Facebook, but we don't even know if they take action. Time out. You know, or um, uh, let's do a PDF. Mm-hmm. Let's do a PDF to get emails to, for retargeting. It's like we haven't even dove into the problem and you're yelling out a tactic, not even a solution, a tactic. Mm-hmm. And it, it may look different. And to your point, uh, that is really going forward. Uh, if you want to be authentic and genuine, you know, that, that personalization is really going to help. I don't mean personalization like a subset of, you know, automation. I mean, just mm-hmm. taking the time to personally talk to someone. Uh, you mentioned Nathan Barry earlier. I'll be honest. Uh, Nathan Barry started ConvertKit. I remember him doing that every step of the way. Uh, he mm-hmm. came to me and said, hey, Nathan, I'm starting to convert kit. I need some customers. I was like, no, not right now because you're still building it. Hey, MailChimp is free. Mm-hmm. And then Nathan, yep. then Nathan, but I, I bought Nathan stuff. I supported him. So mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why he reached out to me. And he contacted me again when he made more progress and just said, this is what we have now, so on and so forth. And then he got busier as his company grew. Yeah. But. I, I'm now with ConvertKit, but the reason I'm with ConvertKit now is because those times he personally reached out to me. So yeah, uh, and and he, even now, if I if I tweet him or something, he still responds uh, whenever he can. So again, uh, we can talk about tactics. We can talk about um, all the mm-hmm. cool things, all the cool technology, this that or the other. But at the end of the day, I made a decision because there was a personal connection, and that's some of what people need. Uh, courses are great. Mm-hmm. But courses are great for those who are self-disciplined enough to take themselves through the information and then apply mm-hmm. the information. You have to think about that. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll just, I'm going to speak for the American school system at the moment. So okay. I can't speak to the Canadian <laughs> school system, but I'll speak to the American <laughs> school system at the moment, which is not the best. But anyway, um, so the American school system, you sit in class, you learn, and you have an instructor. The instructor tells you, this is what we're going to learn. This is what we're going to do. And you progress through different subjects as they guide you along. Mm-hmm. That's how it was for me in preschool, elementary, uh, middle school, high school, 
even in college. College was a little more, I taught you, go figure it out. But they still guided you here and there, depending on the class. So if that's the mentality of how most people learn, why do you think it's just going to be, hey, guys, watch these videos, bye? Yeah. (laughs) People aren't even used to that. Like now, Now, if you've done a great job with a screen share... And you're like guiding someone through an action from beginning to end and you do a good job highlighting different things and giving some insight on why you're making decisions. Great. Good. But uh, all the courses that I've purchased, not everybody does that. So if it's Mm -hmm. they need someone to guide them, the whole value of, you know, the university system is I can ask the professor a question during his office hours and he's supposed to give me attention. So. That's what's yeah. needed, honestly, nowadays that is uh, somewhat leaving. And, you know, you're right in terms of uh, that one-on-one approach, those coaching calls. It can be time-consuming. It's not necessarily scalable in the, in the way you would think mm-hmm. about it. It's not necessarily scalable. But people appreciate it because in the sea of automation, and well, I keep saying automation because I'm really thinking about chatbots, those took mm-hmm. over and it's like, whoa, chatbots are out. Everybody can use it and you can engage customers by acting like it's a real thing. Um, you can fake yeah. you can fake personalization and fake human interaction. It's like quit yeah. putting so much effort in fake human interaction and just have some human interaction. And that's a realization that I had to have because I was copying people's tactics and, and trying to do what I read in a book or what a guru said until I was like, what do I want to do? Well, if I mm-hmm. would want one-on-one time with somebody, it's like, well, then offer that. So mm-hmm. now I have that as a part of my product offering, and I never did in the past. Yeah. And there's obviously a balance here. So, like, one of the things I've tried is workshops. And workshops have a lot of benefits because, uh, like you know, you've done a couple. Um, you can have people show up in the chat. They can interact with you. You can get real-time cues from them. Uh, it forces them. A lot of the benefit of going to school, you're right, is the interaction you have between your professor. But a lot of the the benefit is you've got to be at class. Like if you don't be, if you're not at class, you get in trouble or you lose your money. Like you're paying so you can show up and go to the lecture. And you know when it's a self-paced course, you don't have that. For, no one's forcing you to open up, you know, the video and start doing the work. You have to, it, again, think about the motivation required to like force yourself to ignore all of your work, all of Netflix and Twitter and <laughs> Facebook, all the distractions, and then just like open up a video and go, okay, I'm going to watch this right now and like learn. It's, it's hard. Yeah. And so workshops have a lot of those advantages, but they're not super easy to sell. And um, so this is where the balance comes in, right? So, and I think I'm going to continue to offer them. But, you know, my friend Paul Jarvis has done uh, a few now. Uh, I know some other folks that have done them. And everybody says they are harder to run and less profitable right now than courses. And um, the folks that have gone to my workshop say, you know, this has been great and maybe it just is going to take time and that's okay too. You know, it's going to take time from people saying, Hey, I went to Justin's last workshop. It was awesome. Uh, you should sign up for the next one, but it does it, you know, trying these things out, uh, doesn't necessarily mean just because you're offering, 
you know, maybe you're offering something that is better for the customer, it still might be hard to get them in and, you know, and actually have them buy it and schedule it and show up and all that stuff. Uh, even right now, I think 30 to 50% of the people that pay for my live workshops don't show up live and they've already paid, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think there's a balance here and, naturally, I think if you're running a business, you're always going to want to offer the thing that that's working. So, you know, if, if one thing requires less effort and you're getting more out of it, we're going to naturally want to do those things. But I think, I think it's still worth trying it. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's still worth trying it, even though it might not immediately produce the best results and it might immediately be harder than doing something else. I think it's still worth trying and trying probably multiple times. The, and, and that really that's the only way you get any sort of feedback is, okay, you bought my course, how's it going? Well, I didn't read any of the material. Okay, uh, you bought my workshop, how's it going? Well, it was really good. I showed up for the last half of it and these lines were really helpful for me. I'd say I got three times value, three times more value than your course. Perfect. We do a coaching call. How was that for you? Oh, this was the best. Mm. By far, you know, thousand times better. You, like, just being able to interact with you face-to-face was, it helped me so much. I got to do this again. Okay, well, now I get to balance all of those things and say, okay, which, you know, what do I want to put my effort into? But this one over here is clearly producing results. And, you know, maybe I should invest more time in that, you know? Um that's really the only way you figure this stuff out is getting real feedback from real people. And, uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that's really it, isn't it? No, yeah, I, I would say so. You're right. That's awesome. You also hinted at something that, um, uh, it's taken me a while to, I guess, decide on what, what I was offering, but you hinted at something that I call, it has many different names. I've heard this called the trifecta, the product spectrum, the product triangle, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is, and I'll just speak to myself. In the past, I was doing web design and I only offered web design. Like that was it. Web design. Mm-hmm. And then I was giving custom quotes. So it's like web design and you're probably going to pay a lot of money. That's just it. Mm-hmm. Web design. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't really offering that much of a choice. So then I need to break down what I'm offering in some type of productized consulting. So maybe it's a coaching call. Maybe it is a strategy roadmap session then finally it's a web design if they want to move towards that but i already equipped them with the tools to do it themselves if they want to but there's some Mm -hmm. value there if they want me to do it and i can save them some time so i'm just now getting to the point where i'm establishing all of that and offering it to different people and products are a part of your product ladder or your you know product spectrum Mm -hmm. if you will so i just wanted Mm -hmm. to ask do you do you think or feel um, every creative needs that or they just need to focus on what's working or does everyone need some type of product ladder uh, and not just have one thing? I don't know. I'm just curious on your mm. thoughts on that because I, you know. Yeah. I, you know what's so tricky about all this is like from a business owner's perspective, I would say absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like the more income streams you have, the better. Uh, and there's been certainly, <laughs> there's been times like I wrote a little bit about this, but, you know, I had um, – some mental health uh, challenges this past year. And, you know, I was in therapy. I was 
experiencing some weeks like extreme depression. And there's a lot of weeks I couldn't get up in front of a camera and be like, happy Justin, here's a video, let's go, you know. Uh, and it was very helpful having um, Mega Maker Club, which has a waiting list, being able to just like email that list and go, hey folks, if you want to join, it's it's open. And if I didn't have that stream of income, uh, like my kids wouldn't have eaten, you know. So having you know, having a backup and having multiple streams of income for a business owner is very helpful. But I think <laughs> what we're really getting to here is that it's not about us. It's about them. And as soon as I say this, it immediately forces you to say, like, you know, there's people listening going, well, who? What do you mean? And I'm like, that's the point. Who are you serving? And what are they what are they motivated to change in their life and how do they want to experience that change? It's all about the people you're serving. And so if, you know, the, the truth is, is I have, you know, I have a list of a mailing list of about 15,000 people and you know, what's best for me might be having multiple income streams, but for sure there's a lot of people on my list going, Justin, I'm like friggin' sick of you talking about all the things you got going on like that you you're you know i've already bought your book i've already bought your workshop i've already in mega maker club like enough already you know and um but if i go back to them and this is again this is what no one really thinks about and talks about is you're always going back to people hanging out with them in their world not asking what do you need right now? How, what do you need? What, what, how can I help you? Uh, saying, just hanging out, just hanging out and, and observing and listening and thinking, how do these people need help right now? These people I've chosen to serve and, um, do they even need my help right now? And eventually I think, what's great about human beings is we always want to make progress. And so there are opportunities, but it, it, it requires us to get out of ourselves and focus on people. It focuses, it forces us to say, I'm, my desire is to have multiple income streams, but I'm going to really like stuff that down and just focus my attention on the people and what they, what they need. And, and I think maybe in the past I was too I was too focused on what's easiest and what feels best for me. And you know, just if uh, and obviously you don't want to do something for the rest of your life that you just absolutely hate. But um, you know, doing calls, for example, is more painful for me because I have to put something in my calendar. And that means if it snows that day and I want to mm. go snowboarding, I can't. So <laughs> yes, there's more sacrifice. But again, it's not about what's best for me. It's going to be what's best for the customer. And hopefully that ends up, you know, bringing some benefits to me. Um, not hopefully. There's always a tension between these two things. But I think you have to focus on the customer first. And so if you're focusing on the customer, and like you said, like I think for freelancers, this is 
uh, pretty apparent that there's some people that can pay $15,000 for a website. And there's some people that are like, ah, I can't pay that. Do you have anything for 350 bucks? And you'd say, well, I, I can't build it for you, but I have this course that will enable you to, you know, you follow it, you can do it yourself. And if they're scrappy and, you know, they're just getting started, that might be perfect for them. Um, and they might do that two or three times and then build a big business. And then they're like, ah, oh, you know, I got, we really need a $15,000 website. And then, you know, then they'll, they'll, uh, come to you. So the answer is yes. I think for the entrepreneur, you do want to have multiple income streams, but you really almost have to ignore that completely. It's the hardest thing in the world to do is just forget about your own needs and just focus on this other group of people completely and always be thinking, okay, but what do they really need right now? What are they motivated to change? No, you said something big, which is uh, basically just listen, uh, listen to your customer base, listen to your client base, uh, whether people realize it or not. I think this has been forgotten. Everybody who has a business is literally in the customer service business. You're in the mm -hmm. business of how can you serve people and uh, what can you do or what can you best do to help them reach their specific goal? And like you said in the beginning, make their life better. And if you start with that question, you'll more easily play into serving your customers rather than um, you creating something and then pushing them towards it or trying mm -hmm. to make or coming up with a story on why they need it rather than ju them just naturally uh, falling into it or adapting to it. So, no, you, mm -hmm. you said it. It's, it's all about service and... Uh, for me, and and yeah. research. Like, I think some of it is about listening, but it's also... Uh, like nobody wants, so inside of tiny marketing wins, mm -hmm. there's this thing where people can ask me questions. And this one fellow was said, uh, how would you approach marketing for the jewelry industry? And I was like, I was getting ready. I was like writing an outline and I was, you know, getting ready to answer the question. Here's smart ass Justin. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to solve all your marketing problems. I'm sitting on top of the mountain and I just know what your customers need. And I was about to get into the video and I'm like, I don't know what these customers need. And I said, and I took the camera and I was like, okay, I'm coming. I remember me. that. And I, I remember I took, that. And I, and I'm walked down to a jewelry store and, uh, just kind of hung out in the jewelry store and observed and watched and listened. And, you know, um, maybe I could have gotten kicked out, but that, the, the point was I was trying to spend time in that world and I was able to make all these observations you know, spending 15 minutes. And if I was in the jewelry industry, I wouldn't just spend 15 minutes. I would do this week after week after week. Go to where your customers are and just hang out and see and do your research. Like as you note things down, you know. So I observed, you know, 90% uh, of the customers were men. Uh, men do not know what they want when they go into a jewelry store. They are all, all have this heightened anxiety. They're very uncomfortable uh, this is not their, uh, natural habitat, but they go in and they're just like, God, like, and the, the best salespeople were, um, the, the folks working that recognized that and, um, had a very gentle way of making the, the, in this case, the man feel calm and started asking questions you know, what's this for? How long you've been together? Just getting information. Uh, 
I had someone sell me at a jewelry store. Uh, she, I recognized her right away. Hmm. And she said, uh, hey, I used to work at Starbucks. You used to come in all the time with your wife. And I said, oh, yeah, that's crazy. And uh, she said, well, wh why are you here today? And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I want to get something for our anniversary. And she's like, oh, you know what? I have a good sense of what I think your wife would be into. And she took me over to this one thing. And I, w I was looking at it. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and so I hedged my bets. I bought one thing from there and another thing that appealed to me. Gave them both to my wife. And my wife loved the recommendation that this gal gave. Like she just knew. And so think about that. Like she had, she had a built-in advantage because she'd been able to observe me in my habitat and she had taken some mental notes and she was able to use those when she switched jobs. It's the same for us. We're doing the research and you really have to spend time with people in their world and not just spend time kind of mindlessly, but taking notes of, wow, seems like a lot of people struggle with this one thing and just noting it and then noting like different ways they try to get around it and then maybe you're onto something, you know? Um, so I think part of it is listening and if you're a freelancer, you've got a great built-in way to do that because you're on the phone with clients all the time. But maybe you need to get uncomfortable and fly over and see your, your client in the next state and go, hey, I'm just in town. I would love to visit you and just hang out and actually spend time with them in their world and see what you can observe, see what comes out when you're actually you know, there with them. Uh, I think that's where great ideas come from. No, that's good. And just to restating some of what Justin just said, he, you know, listening, yes, but also doing research. So that's just listening. That may be, and, and now that we're all connected through the internet, I really feel like there's no excuse. That may be jumping into a Slack group and asking questions mm -hmm. and listening. That means jumping into a Slack group for what you want, but also jumping into a Slack group for the clients you are serving. Maybe it has nothing to mm -hmm. do with what you want. Uh, like Justin said, he went up and went to a jewelry store. Yes, sometimes mm -hmm. he goes to the jewelry store, but that's not an every week, every day occurrence, right? So, uh, for example, for me, because I, I have two arms in my business, I have the web design and then the, the teaching and the coaching. Uh, really, mm -hmm. honestly, it's okay. Uh, I might need to hop into a beginner's Slack group or somebody, somebody who's just starting out to be reminded of what their struggles are. I may be sitting here trying to come up with a new idea. Uh, what new course can I do? What new, what new consulting angle can I take? And then I hop into a group and people are still like, how do you register your business again? How do you get, mm -hmm. a how do you get a trademark? I don't, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And you think, well, this yeah. is, well, I'm past that. I'm on level 24. This is level one. But if that's what people are wrestling with, if that's what people really need, uh, mm -hmm. go back to when you first started and think about the hurdles mm -hmm. you had to get over. Um, yeah. I, that may be, yeah, that may and be very helpful. And get over your own, um, your own BS. So every, uh, every, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Everything like designers, developers, marketers, managers, leaders, we all have our own things that are super important to us. And I think one of the things that's interesting about 
base camp is if you watch those guys, they're very interested. They're less interested in what, you know, what designers believe and think and more interested in what people think and believe. An example of that would be, I think it was Ryan Singer, it might have been Jason Freed, said, you know, there we always make fun of this in as designers, but there's something about Comic Sans hmm. that appeals to people. And I, I know as soon as I say this, every designer out there is like, <gasps> like, you know, don't, <laughs> it's a nerve. But that's your own BS. That's, that's something, yes, I, I know it's important. Yes, I know you're right. I know all that. But being willing to observe where people are at and go, but why, why are we like, why are we crapping on that right away? Why is that our first reaction instead of being curious about it? What is it about Comic Sans that is so appealing to people? Why, like, why do they put it on their menus? Why is it the universal <laughs> typeface of choice for every school in North America? What is it about it? And part, you know, there's interesting answers, right? There's interesting answers about Microsoft and the, the default typefaces they gave to people. But there's also an interesting observation about human, human beings and, you know, what they want and what appeals to them. And we can, you can argue with them all day long going, you know what you need is you need a better typeface. And they might say, but I like this typeface. And you go, but, it, but it's stupid. And you're, you're just, you're, you're never going to, if, unless you're truly open to the way people are and what motivates them, if you're, if you're always going to hold yourself back with, you know, the things you know are true and you know, you're going to argue about forever. You're never going to, it's going to be hard for you to, to see people in their, the way they really are and what they really want. And I, I've seen too many folks, um, and it's not just designers, it's developers, it's business people, it's salespeople, it's, you know, it's North Americans versus Europeans. It, we all have our own things that we believe. And sometimes you need to get over that stuff in order to help people out. And if your first response to someone is, well, your sign is ugly, <laughs> that might not be the best way to make a sale, right? <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, some of those things you've never tested. So maybe Comic Sans on your menu outsells uh, Avenir Light or whatever you wanted to put on there. May maybe your principles don't always work all the time. And um, that we have to move past that. You'll notice that all of this stuff is about moving past what moving past ourselves and what we want and what we think and what we believe and just focusing all of our attention on what do customers want? What do customers need? What's going to be best for them? What, how can I really help them make progress? Like legitimately, not just like have something that makes me feel good because, you know, Avenir is clearly a superior typeface. Well, that, that doesn't matter. You're focused on the wrong stuff. Like be addicted to helping your customers make progress. 
and everything else should be you should be able to break you should be willing to break every other rule hmm. and i fall into this too but i think that's the only way to do it and if you can't get past yourself if you can't get past this idea that no i'm right i'm right uh you know um what the customer wants is uh, they they want their work delivered to them in sprints and they want, uh, sorry, what they need is their work delivered to them in sprints and what they need is an app build in Go and what they need is, you know, all these, whatever we decide to put up, you're, you're focused on the wrong stuff. Like focus on what actually helps your customers, what actually helps them make progress, what do they actually care about. And this is why jackasses like me can sometimes win over someone who's more talented because I'm, I'm, I don't have all of that um, other stuff holding me back sometimes. You know, like if this design outperforms this design, great, let's go with this design, you know? I don't have the, all these other things holding me back. And um, if, if you're constantly a person who's being held back by these things that you believe are true but aren't necessarily best for customers, <laughs> customers don't care about your opinions or your belief systems or you know uh, your principles. All they care about is their given context and how they want to make progress. And if you look at your own life, it's true for you too. Uh, and sometimes I don't know why we expect <laughs> other people to be different. Like... Um, we started this conversation with me saying like my boss was offering me things that were better, you know, it was good for them. But I kept saying, but that doesn't work for me. Okay. But they're like, well, but every other business in our town operates this way. Like this is the way things should be. I said, but that doesn't work for me. And so I'm just always going to be motivated to look for a different solution. Hmm. And I mean, if, if I was a designer and the customer just loves Comic Sans I would try to figure out why do they love Comic Sans? What kind of results has it given them? What else have they tried? Would they be willing to try something else? But that means you have to be willing to the result. You have to be open to the results. And if the results, you know, Avenir versus Comic Sans turn out to be Comic Sans wins, you have to be okay with it and go, okay, wow, that, that's best for the customer. We're going to go with that and embrace it. Um, you know, as opposed to holding on to something else. It's funny you brought up Comic Sans. I'm a little bit of a font nerd. So when you like Comic Sans, Evan Year, I was like, I know all those fonts. I think they ran, <laughs> they ran different tests with an elementary school with Comic Sans. And um, most people felt Comic Sans were more readable, was more readable. Also, mm -hmm. there was a funness about it that made them finish long paragraphs versus other mm -hmm. straight fonts. They didn't. They just kind of started... They're reading, they're reading, um, now I'm skimming. But Comic Sans yeah. seemed fun. So see, what you just, I know we're talking about, this is not about Comic Sans, but the learning is, those are some things about Comic Sans. If you make a suggestion, it has to at least still do that. Is it still readable? Exactly. Is it still fun? Is there an element of entertainment with it? Is it getting people to read the full paragraph and in the context of digital marketing and different tactics, you can test those things. And like Justin just said, you have to be open to the result. And, you know, I'm guilty. I probably don't test enough. And that's, that's actually like a great point 
that kind of summarizes everything, which is um, in terms of creating going forward in 2018, you're going to have to try things, uh, myself included. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, and you have to be willing to admit, I wrote this in my yearly review, uh, you have to be willing to admit when something's not working. Uh, a lot of times mm-hmm. I neglected to say something wasn't working because I knew it worked for Justin, it worked for Nathan Barry, mm-hmm. it worked for Paul Jarvis, it has to work for me. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm smarter than that. No, I didn't think that. But, uh, <laughs> it, it has to work for me. You know, that's yeah. the that's the thought. But you have to be willing to admit that, hey, this doesn't work for me. I have to try yeah. something else or I have to try yeah. a different way or I have to test things because everything is a test. If it doesn't work, forget mm-hmm. it. I'm not married to it. If, if, it, if it doesn't work, I'll just try something else and mm-hmm. keep doing that until you find what works for you because it's not going mm-hmm. to work everybody and that's really how i'm operating this year um Mm -hmm. if it's not working i need to change it up as many times Mm -hmm. as i can till i find a sweet spot or at least until i encounter someone who can uh, give me a perspective that i can't yet see um just like Mm -hmm. this conversation here give me a perspective that i can't yet observe or see that i may need to try so yeah i think those Mm -hmm. are all words of wisdom for everybody uh, they definitely can take and apply, if nothing else. If you learn nothing else from this conversation, common sense might not be bad. So, yeah, it all it all depends on what's <laughs> happening with it. <laughs> I would love, actually, to have people, uh, like, interact with that with us. Because I, I know people, as they're listening to this, are like, okay, but... And they're, they're yelling at their podcast player or whatever but i think i don't know what the best maybe hit us up on twitter or um i don't do you you don't have do you have comments on your podcast yeah i do because uh since the podcast is video it's on youtube and uh it's uh audio podcast as well so yeah tw- I, I mention twitter all the time so cool um, yeah so want to make up a hashtag <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, maybe a hashtag or just even, yeah, mentioning both of us and saying, you know, here's my pushback or here's what I thought or because I think um, there's something here and it it kind of, I, I feel like even us going back and forth, I was able to kind of articulate this better than I have in the past, which is I think we're often missing the point. I think we're often missing what really matters. And really, it's about the people we're serving. And, you know, as soon as we bring up these other things, it's like, man, like, so I don't know what the best avenue for that is. But uh, Twitter or on YouTube comments or whatever, I'd love to have people chime in. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, as Justin mentioned, just anybody listening, please chime into the conversation that we're talking about. Uh, on Twitter, you can, Justin is uh, M.I. Justin. So at M.I. Justin, that's his Twitter handler. And mine is, uh, Nate, my name, first and last name, at Nathan Alote. So yeah, just add us or, you know, direct message us. Not direct message, make it public, but just tweet us. Yeah. And uh, reference our names and, you know, talk about this certain subject just so we can hear a little bit more from you all. Because there may be another perspective we're not considering. But um, as Justin mentioned, in terms of, the angle he's communicating from just thinking about this from a different perspective uh, again, uh, whether one of service, one that is inquisitive, one that is learning and making sure you're learning from the right people, which is those you serve, not every guru who may not even serve Mm. your audience. Right. Uh, It's it's tempting. 
there's a big there's a big conference taking place in Houston very soon. A lot of gurus are gonna be there. And my friend asked me, he's like, Are you going? He's like, You the one who told me about all these people. I said, You know, I'm not going because I may be their audience, but my audience is not their audience. So mm-hmm. they may tell me something that I need to hear per se, but it might not be useful in the advice I'm giving to others. So mm-hmm. I was like, I don't need to hear that right now. Now's the time to focus on the people. I'm serving. I'm not saying don't go mm-hmm. to conferences. I go to a ton of conferences, actually. But mm-hmm. a lot of times we take that and think it's uh, absolute. And mm-hmm. uh, it's not. It depends on the context of who you're talking to. So uh, mm-hmm. Totally. And, yeah. So that's that, there's, there's just more. just wanted to make that point really quick. Well said. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. Uh, we've been talking for a while. I don't mind, personally. Uh, I <laughs> I know you mentioned some other things you had to do. Uh, I do have a question or what I call a final question. Unless there's anything else you want to say. Like I said, I don't mind. Um, there's a question I tend to ask everyone, and I wanted to hear your perspective if you're ready. Sure. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. And this is uh, however many years you want to go back. But uh, if you were to type out an email and send the email, and the email travels back in time to your younger self, uh, what, mm-hmm. would, what would you say? It could be in general or it can be specifically about what we've been talking about, uh, you know, the life of a solopreneur and how things are evolving and listening to your audience. It can be about that if you wanted to or anything else. So sure, if you send an yeah. email, goes back in time, what would you say to your younger self? Okay. Uh, I want to say two things. The first is uh, I would tell my younger self to start taking care of my mental health back then. I don't think it gets talked about enough. And uh, specifically, you know, I felt invincible and I felt uh, like I would never have problems with depression or any of that stuff. And so I thought like going to counseling, for example, was something I was like, that's for other people. I would tell my younger self, go to counseling now while you feel healthy Hmm. so that you are in the habit of doing it uh, once a month even. And even if you, all you do is you schedule the appointment and you go and you just say, well, I don't really have anything going on right now. Uh, but I just want to get in the habit of seeing you and having a relationship with a therapist. Uh, I think that's super important. And until you have it happen to you, you don't realize how, uh, debilitating it can be. And it, uh, for me, talk therapy, especially like actually going to a real person in their office and sitting on, um, they have a couch. I don't lay down on the couch. just like (laughs) sitting down and going, you know, here's some things I'm thinking about. Here's some things I'm stressed about. And having that other person who's trained, they're not just like a buddy that you go for beers with, but they're trained to help people make progress, you know, with mental health and with their life and all those things. That has been incredible. And so, I would I wish I could go back and do and get that started earlier. I think related is you know in my teens and definitely in my 20s and probably a lot of my 30s I just always thought I was right. <laughs> and I I probably wouldn't have broadcast this but there was this feeling of you know I think I'm more right than all of you and mm. um that has been 
um, that has been very destructive in terms of everything. Uh, not being willing to be wrong and also not being humble and curious enough to go out and explore other options. And so I don't think idealism, idealism is always bad. I don't think that having your own beliefs is always bad, but you really need, I think being truly open to other ideas, being truly open and humble of not putting yourself on this pedestal and feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm better than everyone else. They just don't know it. Or I'm better than, you know, I, that person who has achieved that success, uh, you know, often I would like downplay it. Ah, they're just got lucky or whatever. I think there's this humility is a very, um, just important characteristic and being willing to say, ah, you know what? I wonder what I could learn from that person or this person, I do not agree with them at all. Instead of running away from that, maybe I should lean into that and actually, you know, engage with them. Oh, I'm going to add one more thing. Third yeah, yeah, thing sure. is, uh, I made so much of my life about seeking comfort. And so, you know, like in high school, I wanted to figure out the easiest way to get the assignment done and get an okay mark. Um, and even like some of this motivation to start my own business was like, I just want my life to be easier. And, uh, I think that is the wrong position to take. Uh, I think it's great for you to want your life to be better. I don't think we need to go as far as like seeking out suffering, but I don't think our whole purpose in life should be to make ourselves as comfortable as we can. I think we should be making ourselves as uncomfortable as we can. And uh, I, I think if there's anything else that's held me back, it's been that, no, I'm just comfortable right now. Don't rock this boat. Like, no, don't, no one mess this up because this is comfort. Uh, that now when I'm too comfortable, that's a place for me the warning bells kind of go off and go, no, I need to get uncomfortable. Uh, not that I, again, I, not that I want to seek out suffering or make bad decisions on purpose, but how can I push myself to, um, really, you know, lean into discomfort. So when I get to a hard problem, am I going to just try to like go around it or am I going to try to like go through it and actually solve the problem? For example, uh, am I going to sweep things under the rug or am I going to deal with them now? And I've just got a history of sweeping things under the rug or trying to make things easy. And it really did not work for me. <laughs> and so I think what a lot of what I've learned in therapy is no, when don't, don't just like try to keep yourself in this like perfect, like comfortable space all the time. It, a, a challenge comes to you, lean into the challenge. Um, uh, you know, there, uh, something happens and you want to just sweep it under the rug. No, just deal with it then. Um, that, yeah, those three things I think would be what I'd write in my email. No, thank you. That's awesome. And, uh, I have a quick note just to follow up with what you said. Justin mentioned depression and here's the thing. Uh, a lot of people are depressed and do not know it. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember, I had a couple of my friends have tragic things happen in their life. They lost, uh, you know, the lives of their children. 
and uh, one of them lost a brother. Um, and I mm. and I was I just looked at them how they were acting. I said, "Hey, uh, you're depressed." They're like, "No, I'm not. I still go to work. I still talk to people. I'm still doing everything I do. I, I miss my mm-hmm. family members." But I was like, "No, you're depressed. You should probably go counseling." <laughs> They mm-hmm. went to counseling and they, yeah. they're like, yeah, you're depressed. And depression doesn't always look like I'm sad. I'm lying yeah. in bed all the time. I can't, you know, woe is me. No, sometimes depression is you either do something out of character or mm-hmm. um, some, of the, some of the energy or the joy you had in doing one thing. Uh, it doesn't bring that anymore and mm-hmm. something needs to change or it's a subtle shift. Sometimes your family members catch it, but... It's a subtle shift in just your overall behavior, you know? So maybe maybe you love doing the online entrepreneurial thing and all of a sudden you wake up and say, man, forget it. Mm-hmm. That's not normal. Why? You know, right? So mm-hmm. I'm just bringing that up just to say, uh, yeah. you know, Justin brought up depression and, you know, he was brave enough to admit that and say he went to counseling and he's recommending to his younger self to go seek out counseling. But some people are depressed and don't know it, right? So depression mm-hmm. also often goes undiagnosed. So don't mm-hmm. be afraid to make that session just to see, just to talk to the it's It should be as regular mm-hmm. as your yearly checkup physically, or you go to the yeah. de- you go to the dentist to check out your teeth. Um, yeah. What about your emotional and mental health? That's something you need to check yeah. out as well. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And no one else can diagnose it except for a professional. So. Uh, don't try to get your friends to do it or your the internet. Like, just go see a professional and <laughs> the internet. see what they say. <laughs> he said the internet. Uh, well, people do go to WebMD and they try to uh, <laughs> self-diagnose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah people. people yeah. I, I do digital marketing for a hospital. That's why I laugh because I know people love mm-hmm. to self-diagnose. And um, mm-hmm. when you self-diagnose, yeah. the next step is see a professional. So, like, yeah, yeah. even if you self-diagnose... <laughs> And you think it's something, the next step is go see a professional, not like stop, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah there's that too. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Again, yeah, Justin, great. awesome. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, the final the final question, right, is uh, where can people go to find you online? We mentioned it here and there, but I don't know if you have any pointed resources you want to send and get to people. Sure. Um, for all like my business stuff, megamaker.co, uh, that's where you find my podcast and my products and all that stuff. Uh, justinjackson.ca is my personal site and I'm trying to write more human stuff on there. And so there's still a little bit of business, but uh, that's a good spot too if you are interested in kind of like the human side of business or the human side of just living a life. And yeah, that's that's probably pretty good. Either of those sites. Well, I'll put those in the show notes just so you have it. Uh, both resources are awesome. On uh, Justin Jackson, recently an article I read, he was transparent about how he felt like what he mentioned earlier. He had a great product, but he spent 30000 learning that wasn't the best. So mm-hmm. I, how is it not the best when you made money? He go, He dives into that. Talks about fatherhood, talks about his family, talks about everything. So I think between Mega Maker, professional or creative endeavors, and his personal site, mm-hmm. I think you get a well-rounded resource. So check those out, and I will include those in the show notes so you can uh, have access to those as well. So Justin, I definitely want to thank you. You provided tons of value. Uh, I loved it, and I think this would be a, 
highly listened to because you said a lot of nuggets of wisdom and pretty much the whole talk was, I would say. So, uh, yeah, just thank you again for uh, taking the time to do this. Yeah, I, I always like interacting with you, man. So uh, I'm happy to be here anytime. We could do it again sometime, too. All right, cool, man. Awesome. Well, yeah, uh, thank you again for checking out this episode. I greatly appreciate it. And I will catch you all in the next one. See you later.